Founder Space Startup Supercharge. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founder Space, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. We are always looking for startups that are pushing the limits, that are really pushing the boundaries of technology and business. Like, what, what are they doing? What are, do they have something new and different? And we are not focused like just on blockchain or just on AI or just on biotech. We cover all sectors because we never know where the big breakthroughs will come. I mean, honestly, most of the big breakthroughs come from way out in left field. Like you never expected them. Like blockchain, before blockchain, who would have expected blockchain? Nobody would have been able to predict that. So we've seen a lot of incubators and accelerators that get too narrow, like they focus on just VR. And, you know, VR is doing well, and then VR isn't doing well. And then the incubator ends up suffering because of that. So um, for us, we're always very excited about what we don't expect, what we don't see coming. And then when it, we see it in front of us, we're like, oh, that's what we should be investing in next. The major incentive was to take a lot of the knowledge that I had accumulated and get it out into the world. So my first book, Make Elephants Fly, is all about innovation. So I've worked with so many different types of startups, from early stage to much later stage, and even major corporations, you know, like Qualcomm and Huawei and Intel and these big companies. And I've been through the innovation process and all of them do it differently. So I wanted to take a book that was very practical, very hands-on with what is the process for innovation and how can you have a team, whether you're just doing a startup or you're in a major corporation, how can you get a team and turn them into innovators? What are the keys to doing it? And it's actually quite complex because a lot of companies, you know, they might have one or two in really innovative people kind of driving things, but they don't really build great innovation teams. And it, and it's really hard for just a couple individuals to sustain that, right? It doesn't last. They have like a burst of innovation and then it goes away. You really need a process in place. After I finished that book, that book really did well. Like it, it, it has done phenomenally well. I went on and I wrote Surviving a Startup. Now, Surviving a Startup is really all of my knowledge, you know, I did three venture funded startups, two bootstrap startups. I've been in the trenches. I know what it's like to raise capital. I know how tough it is, how crazy hard it can be. And, and then to grow and scale your business. So I just put all of that from my personal experience and from all the different entrepreneurs, all the roadblocks they're hitting and tell them how to survive. And that book just got published by HarperCollins. So it's out there now. It's in Amazon. It's going into all the bookstores everywhere, brand new. And following that, later this summer, my next book is coming out, and that is The Five Forces. And The Five Forces is like a passion project for me because what it is, is I took a look at all the major forces that are, are coming up in technology. And I went into the real research being done today in laboratories and companies and entrepreneurs are doing and extrapolated from that how uh, this technology will impact our future. So I have a whole section in there on like, what is the future of AI? How will AI actually change our lives? Well, will in the future, will we be delegating more and more of our decisions to these artificial intelligent algorithms that can actually make them better for us?
And I'm not just talking like, will we ask the AI what movie we should watch next? Or will we ask the AI where we should eat? I'm talking major life decisions. Like if we're about to quit our job, will there be an AI out there where we can turn to that AI and say, what's the next best job? I should go. Can you match me? Can you find that company for me? You know, you know, you know all the data, you have all the data, and you have been looking at how I perform in my work and analyzing what I do and my strengths and weaknesses. Can you make that perfect match? Or um, for dating, like, you know, I don't want to go on Tinder or all the, you know, okay Cupid and like do all that work. I just want an AI to find me that perfect match that I'll be happy with. So this is going to change the world. AI is going to change the world. Another chapter is all about uh, gen, uh, gene editing, CRISPR technology, you know, all the things that we are creating now. Right now, we're gene editing our livestock so that they can, you know, live in hot climates. We're gene editing our plants so that they grow faster and bigger. We're gene editing, you know, literally everything we can edit, even human beings with gene therapies to cure blindness. So all of that is in there. And in the future, what does it mean uh, when we can design our babies and things like that? And then there's other sections in there on brain computer implants, like what will happen when we actually connect our brains directly to the internet? You know, will that, will that change everything? Will people like Elon Musk or, or Mark Zuckerberg, will be, they be able to gather data from our brains? Will it give us superpowers? Will it be dangerous, you know? And so I go on and on into space travel, nanotechnology, all the major technologies and analyze where we're headed with society. I made plenty of mistakes. So I probably made every mistake possible. So in the early days, when I did my first venture funded company, I knew nothing and I knew nobody. There were no incubators at the time to speak of, like in Silicon Valley. You couldn't join an accelerator. They just didn't exist. I was doing this company. It, we called it Spider Dance. It was interactive television. You know, how can you uh, actually connect TV shows to the internet and how can people play along interactively? So we didn't know anything. Um, we went out to raise money, but I couldn't get in the door to VCs because at that time, you know, you it was very hard to actually even meet a VC. Like there weren't as many and they were very closed off and they tended to fund people with backgrounds from big corporations and people they knew. And I wasn't either of those. I was just this guy who did a startup. And so what we did was we didn't get any money from them. Like I kept trying and trying and trying. And and they wouldn't give us money. Um, but we went to uh, MTV, Viacom, and we showed them the technology we're developing. And they took a look at it and they're like, oh, my God, you know, this is the future of, of television. We're going to write you a check for $350,000. So that was our seed funding. That got us going. We hired a team. We developed it. And then I knew that the 350K was a lot to us then, but it wasn't going to last that long. You know, we needed to hire people, build out a whole server system. They didn't have AWS. We had to make it ourselves, buy all the hardware, co-locate it. So very expensive at, in that time. So I went out and just started hammering on doors. And I found this angel investor. The angel investor was super excited. But the problem was the angel investor was an angel investor who was un committed. Like the angel investor couldn't get off the fence, couldn't decide whether to invest or not. And I made my first big mistake with that investor was not to just kick them off the fence. Like I, I let that investor hang around nine months, nine months with us. And literally, you know what? At the end of nine months, the investor didn't, didn't invest. But the 
During those nine months, that investor wasted so much of my time asking for this spreadsheet, asking for that forecast, asking for a revision on the business plan, added no value, sucked up my time. I should have just, like I learned the hard way that literally after three meetings, you go to anybody who's thinking of investing in your company and say, look, I've given you everything you've asked for, like literally everything. Are you going to invest? And if they hedge, if they say, well, I need this or that or just more time, you say, look, I'm not going to let you in the deal unless you commit. And if they won't commit, kick them, kick them out. Like, because literally after like three meetings, your chance of getting funded just starts to decline. And the more meetings you have, the more it goes down exponentially. Like people are either going to commit or they won't. And they usually commit when they're afraid of losing the deal. Like, so if you're not willing to kick them out <laughs> and they're going to lose the deal, then they're just going to hang around and, and they won't give you an answer. A lot of them, you know, so I say always kick them out, push for a no, go up, try to get them to say, I don't want to invest because that's the best way. If you push for a no, you can get, sometimes you'll be surprised. You get a yes and then you can close the deal. And if you get a no, you know that no was always going to come. It was going to come eventually. You just happen to get it earlier and save yourself a lot of wasted meeting. Then I made another mistake. Like uh, uh, another, we went out for, the angel investor never invested, but we went out for venture capital at the same time we met these big shots in Los Angeles, Hollywood guys, Michael Milken. He was like on the board, like all these major, major guys. And uh, they loved that we had this deal with Viacom and we were doing all the stuff. And they said, we will invest in you, you know? So we're like, great. So we negotiate the whole contract. Like, and we spent, like, we didn't have much money. I said 350K, you know, we, so we had to beg a lawyer to work for us. And we owed the lawyer like 60K, like because of the legal work, uh, all the back and forth on these contracts. It's a lot of lawyers are expensive. So we uh, get to the get done with the whole contract. And we're like, OK, let's sign it. Give us the money. We really need the money. They turn to us and they say, we will give you the money after you launch. Like we are concerned that this product won't go. And if it crashes during the MTV thing, we don't want to, you know, lose our, our shirt. So we're going to wait till after lunch. As we were like, okay. I mean, we really thought we were done, but okay, we'll wait till after lunch. So it was a couple months away, kept working like crazy, launched our product, turned out to be like a big success. Go back to that venture capitalist. Guess what they said? They turned to us and said, you know, we were going to give you a, a 15 a million pre-money valuation, which at the time was really high. Like it, now it's kind of normal, but at that time it was, it was high, but they, they had committed to that in writing and they, and, and then a $5 million investment. So 20 post, and we were like, great, you know, but they said, no, we decided that we're going to give you half the 15 million pre-money valuation. Like we're going to cut your valuation in half. And we we're like, what are you talking about? We launched the product. It was successful. We met every criteria you said. You're going to cut it in half? They said, yeah, we won't do the deal otherwise. You know why they said that? Because they are vulture capitalists. They knew we were desperate. They knew we'd spent every penny we had to launch that product. Literally, we had no money. We had employees to pay. We had overhead. We had these, this big server farm and, and all, you know, we had to keep the show running or MTV would freak out. Like they, things don't go off air. Like, you know, when you put something on air, it has to run and they, we couldn't pull the plug. 
I looked at my partners and we looked at each other and we said, look, if these guys are going to screw us now, they're going to screw us even more later. Like they're not nice. <laughs> like they're not playing nice. So we're going to walk away. We're not going to take the valuation cut. We're walking. So we walked out that door and I'll tell you, we were in hell because <laughs> it was literally right before Christmas and all the venture capitalists were leaving. They were shutting, you know, take going on vacation. They weren't investing. You know, between Christmas and not even the New Year's, between Christmas and like the end of CES, you know, uh, which is mid-February by the time they get back from that, that's when they sort of uh, start re-engaging with startups. So there's like a, a, a month there that you're not going to get any funding. And it was the worst time ever. We were dying. Like we were literally on the floor, uh, you know, in pain, in agony. Like our company was dying. We had to beg our employees not to... Uh, leave us to keep working for free. We will pay them later. We had to, you know, keep that data center, you know, going. And it was sucking all our money. We, we come back in the new year and I, we were desperate, honestly desperate. And, but I didn't, we didn't stop. Like we had to get funded. So I went out and literally um, I bumped into the president of Macromedia, which later became Adobe. And they had, they were just launching Flash at the time. That was their big product, you know, Flash. So they came to us and said, can you get your system to work with Flash? If so, we might invest. And I looked at him and said, absolutely. We will figure out how to get it to work with Flash. You don't have to say anything. So he's, he said, great. But he, then he said, but I, we can't invest unless you have a lead investor, like a, a lead. And this is what I hate. Like there are so many people who come to you and say, when you're trying to raise money, they'll be like, look, we'll invest when you get somebody else to invest. Like, and you're like, what use are you? Like, you're no use. <laughs> like, I need, but actually, actually, Macromedia was some use. So the president, um, he said, I will actually introduce you to several investors. And if they invest, I'll invest. So I thought, okay, I take, I had nothing else. So I'll take this. So I go in, he it brings me to Sand Hill Road, a major VC firm. We sit down across from the VC. I knew he came to the meeting himself, like, because he wanted to see the VC's reaction. And honestly, if the VC had said no, like if the VC was going to walk, he's going to walk. Like that's what, and that's what they do. Like if, if the VC poked a bunch of holes in us, he's going to walk. So I knew this meeting was do or die. Either I was going to close the deal or we're going down the tubes. And so that put a lot of pressure on me. But the other thing I learned is that you never show your hand, like in poker, to the other players. I showed my hand to that first venture firm and they screwed us. Like they screwed, they knew we were desperate for money, so they screwed us. So in this time, I learned my lesson. You push them off the fence and you never show your hand. Like you just, like you, you don't show what you're going to do. So I... Uh, got in there and I acted confident. I was like, acted like we had all the money we needed. Like we have this deal with Viacom. Our show is the biggest thing on MTV. We have a million users, which was huge in those days. Like no, nobody had that. It was like amazing. And I, and, and I did my whole pitch. And at the end of the pitch, I think I got this deal, but he, you know what he does? He has a completely stone face. He just looks at me and he goes, excuse me. And he gets up and he walks out of the room. And I, I was like, oh my God. And I look at the other guy who brought me there, you know, and, it, and with his reputation on the line and he looks at me, we don't know what's going on. And I was like, oh, he probably won't bring me to anybody else. Then that venture capitalist comes back and he literally lays a term sheet down in front of me. 
a term sheet. Like, he wants to sign on the first meeting. Like, that was nirvana. You know, usually you have to go through many, many meetings. So first meeting, it's like, why is he doing this term sheet? Like, what did I say? And then it clicked. It clicked in my brain. I suddenly figured out what it was. What he, what, uh, what, what got him to give me that term sheet was when I casually said that the, the guy from Macromedia, which is now Adobe, the president, was going to bring me to other venture firms, and he was the first. Those, that one sentence, more than anything else I had said in that entire meeting, made him realize that if he lets me leave this room, I may not be coming back. Remember, fear and greed motivate people. Fear, fear that they're going to lose the deal and greed for wanting the deal, right? So I sold him on our vision, but I also implanted the seeds of fear that if he, if he let me go, he wasn't going to do. So I had kicked him off the fence, right? I had made him make a decision and he decided he's going to give me the term sheet right there. Now he actually, we were raising 5 million at the same valuation, 15 pre that I had been rejected for. And he was going to give me not 5 million, but 7 million. He said, I want to give you 7 million. And look, I would have been so happy to have $7 million. But again, I knew you have to be strategic and you can't show your hand. So what I knew was more than the amount of money I needed was I needed this deal to close yesterday. because <laughs> We were totally running on fumes. So I turned to him and said, we don't need $7 million. Like I'm really confident. We don't want $7 million. We only asked for five. But I will tell you what. We will take $6 million if, on one condition, you can close this deal in the next two weeks and get the money in our bank. And you know what he said? We'll do it. We'll do it. Boom. He did it. We had the money in our bank. Uh, you know, a couple weeks later, we were back in action, and it was glorious. After a lot of pain and suffering, remember that, we took that money, we ran, we became the number one provider of interactive television to all of Hollywood. Like we signed up NBC, uh, History Channel, Game Show Network, you know, MTV was already our client, uh, Turner Broadcasting, Warner Brothers, they were all on our platform. Like we were rocking. A public company came to us, said they want to buy us out for a huge amount of money, um, make us all very rich, our first venture funded startup. And you know what happened? Our venture capitalists said no. They said they, we are a rocket ship and they don't want to sell at, at, at this price. You know, all of our gut instinct was to sell because, you know, it was our first company. We wanted to get money. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we trusted our VC because we the, the VCs have done this before and we haven't. So we kept writing literally six months later, the dot-com bubble burst. Burst. Everything like a house of cards came crashing down. Like all of our clients, literally every one of our clients turned to us and said, we're no longer going to pay you for this interactive TV stuff, which was for us, you know, more promotional than, you know, revenue generating because there wasn't really any money from online ads or, you know, all that was in its very nascent stages. You have to remember, like this is a dot com thing. Google wasn't making money. Nobody was, you know, nobody was making money. So they all left and they said, you can run these shows if you can sell the advertising. We couldn't sell the advertising. So, uh, you know, we they were supposed, they had the connections. It was literally a nightmare, but we moved very strategically. We decided, we, you know, we wish we had taken that buyout offer. We didn't, but that's life. So literally 
uh, we uh, we had borrowed a lot of money. On top of our, our venture funding, we had borrowed all this debt financing. If we hadn't borrowed the money, the debt financing, which is a really good deal, you get it a great, it, you know, it doesn't dilute you much and you get a lot, millions and millions of dollars. But you have to pay back that money. And all that money was just coming it was literally just coming due. Like, so we were like in a world of pain all over again. Like after, you know, we achieved everything we set out to achieve. Like, and why are we in a world of pain now? Well, the market collapsed from under you. You have no control over these things. Um, and all the venture firms were pulling back. They weren't investing. And all of a sudden our revenue went from climbing, climbing, climbing to literally nothing. Like, <laughs> So no venture firm would touch us. So we went to these... Uh, our debt financers, which were also, it just had entered chapter 11 because all their companies were defaulting. Um, and they had hired this ex-Marine to like bully us into paying, like literally this ex-Marine. I went to this ex-Marine and I said, look, you can't bully us into paying because we got no money. <laughs> and I said, but I will tell you what, if you will forgive our debt, I will literally hand over the patents, all the intellectual property of our company to you. And we'll walk away without having to uh, go bankrupt. We'll just walk away. And they said yes. So we literally handed them the patents, walked away. So it was clean. We just we could shut down the company without anything. Um, and later they went bankrupt, and I bought it all back for a pittance. You know, so, <laughs> so it was really great. It turned out fine. There's one startup that I just love um, that came out of our incubator called Ecubot, and they were the first ones to launch an ETF powered by AI. So when you're the first, you get an enormous amount of press. Like it is like un when you do something cool, like that everybody wants to talk about. So because of their, they were the first ones to launch an ETF powered by AI, you know, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, everybody, like everybody, you know, New York Times was covering them. Like, and that just um, allowed them their money you know, they were managing money. They got this massive inflow of money. We saw, we saw it just shooting up, you know, first, uh, you know, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Then as the press started to come out, hundreds of thousands of dollars, then millions of dollars and tens of millions of dollars. And, you know, and they just kept going. And now they built out a whole platform and they are doing incredibly well. So Ecubot, you can actually put your money in their ETF if you want. But they've expanded beyond that, and they are now servicing corporations, like big corporations who want a platform for managing their investments. So they just kept growing and evolving. Really good company. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.